Hello and welcome to episode 88 of Sensational She Geek, live from Yancey Street. The podcast took a minor break for the past week, uh, kind of on accident, almost sort of, uh, because of two reasons. We had Valentine's Day, which is also my wedding anniversary, on Tuesday, and then on Thursday it was the Disney Dreamlight Valley update, and I've been spending time on that, obviously, because I've talked about that previously. Um, and then I just kind of haven't gotten around to it then. And I was going to do it Friday, and then no Friday, but then again, like, the next week right away, that's, might as well just wait until I have time off, and that is today. Uh, so today is Wednesday the 22nd, and we have lots of things to talk about. Unfortunately, we do start off this week uh, with uh, the obituary of legendary manga creator Liji Matsumoto, which I'm sure I'm saying wrong, and I apologize for that. I have a lot to say about him and his legacy and what other people have had to say about working with him in the and him as a person uh, through the years. Um, and we do have a little happy news so that it's not all just sad stuff. Uh, the tarot card of the week is card number one of the Major Arcana, and that is the Magician. We're going to talk all about that. We're going to go through the anime tarot, uh, connections to anime and the card of the Magician, stuff like that. A little bit of pop culture, the history of it, and all that fun stuff. Uh, for manga, our manga of the week is Boys Over Flowers by Yoko Kamio. Cameo. Um, really... I'm excited to talk about this one, uh, and we'll we'll talk all about why that is and everything when we get there. Um, there's a very limited manga news. It's pretty much just what I've been reading recently, which is kind of some fun stuff. In the comic book section, we are going to talk a little bit about, um, very briefly mentioning some of the May big two solicitations. It's Marvel and DC, some of the stuff. After reading through those solicitations, uh, the, the general vibe that I get, things that are noteworthy, um, and I will have those full solicitations on my website linked um, in the description below by the time that this episode is live. Um, and next week, we are going to have the month of March look ahead for things that are exciting coming out in March. Um, there is a new this week, things that are coming out the 21st and today the 22nd. And then uh, a little bit of what was out last week, but more importantly, the um, recent reading, catch-up, and events, some things that I've read that are very interesting or noteworthy. Um, probably the longest, definitely the longest one I'm going to talk about is my catching up with the Justice Society of America issues, which I was really surprised by how much I was into those. For the TV and movie section, we're going to talk a little bit about some things that are new and noteworthy, and that does include Quantumania, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that is. I am not, or I have not, rather, <laughs> seen it yet, but I've seen a fair amount of spoilers, and I have a little bit to say about MCU fatigue, because that is definitely something I feel like pretty much everybody is feeling in one way or another. There is some minor news, really all surrounding Deadpool 3, and then, of course, the only trailer of the week that's really worth mentioning, or rather the past two weeks, um, was, of course, The Flash, or the Flashpoint movie. Um, some fun things that we can talk about based on that, some theories, um, and just some general 
you know, vague excitement. There's a lot of odd oddness and a little bit of problematicness tied to this movie, of course. Uh, but we can all talk about that when we get to it. And then for the anime news and more, there's a little bit of news, which is pretty exciting. Actually, a fair amount of news. And then my personal watch list, I'll talk a little bit about things that are premiering currently and what else I've been watching. Haven't caught up yet on The Bad Batch, so unfortunately I don't have a section on that. Um, but Mando Season 1 does start March 3rd. Sorry, 1st. March 1st. First. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that one coming up here very quickly, or rather very soon. Uh, before we get into anything else there, uh, below you will see linked the Yancey Street Discord, which is the uh, Discord for people who listen to the podcast and have similar interests as things that we discuss in the podcast. You can also talk about whatever the heck you want. If you had a good day, a bad day, I don't care. It's just a place to uh, you know, a safe, friendly place to uh, have socialization and discussion of whatever the heck you feel like. Um, if you want to find me on social media, my Instagram is Anna with the comics. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to post next because I'm really, I've gotten really bad about uh, posting things that I'm trying to figure out something to post next. So, um, there's that. And with the comics is my Instagram. My Twitter is Savage She Geek, which is really only something. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm supposed to be posting podcast updates on it, but I often forget, but it's there in case you want to see me yell into the void about, you know, I don't even know, honestly. Uh, but then my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. I have added a bunch of new stuff in the past couple of months about, uh, beginner's guides to comic books and manga, um, recommendations, uh, all kinds of stuff. I'm trying to get the tarot section up and running, but there's a lot that has to go into that. So it is still a work in progress. Um, you can find reading orders, which tend to tie into the Yancey Street specials, which I'm doing, uh, every other month this year. I have, I think, nine of them that are up there. If you would like to check those out on my podcast, going over various female characters and topics in the comic industry um, and things that I just find generally interesting. I do a deep dive in the history and facts on them and then talk about it and their cultural significance, you know, all that fun stuff. And the one that's going to be coming out in the next week or so is going to be the Valentine's Day special in all technicality, and that is on uh, Big Barda and Mr. Miracle, a.k.a. Scott and Barda Free, the indisputed best couple in all of comic books. So keep a lookout for that in the next week or so. On my YouTube, you can find uh, all of my videos in a single playlist for the podcast, and also a bunch of action figure review videos. I am currently waiting for the re-release of Shenron. Um, hopefully we'll be arriving in the next few days. I don't have tracking for it, so I don't know, but that one I will most definitely be doing a, uh, unboxing video for that Shenron. I am very excited about it. Uh, Shenron from Dragon Ball Super, Dragon Ball Z, the Dragon Ball franchise. Um, so that's super exciting and will hopefully be on my YouTube page in the next few days, seeing that it does get delivered eventually. Eh. There are lots of ways that you can donate to the podcast, and you can find those linked all over my link tree and my website and everything. Um, but if you are unable to donate, which is obviously totally fine, the best way to support the podcast is either to share it to grow the community or to uh, you can rate it and review it on whatever format you listen to it on and that's always really great to get them to get uh to get it to be come up in search results and things like that better when people are looking for these sorts of podcasts to listen to 
As unfortunate as it is, our news does start with an obituary this week for the manga creator Liji Matsumuru, who has passed away at the age of 85. This is not a name that I expect um, the majority of Western audiences to be particularly familiar with. Um, it is a bit of a niche, you know, the manga and anime world, and it is even more of a niche within the niche, the type of works that he worked with. But as you will see as I go through this, um, his legacy among the community, not just the manga and anime community, but the entire art and storytelling community is very, very significant, and that is why I definitely wanted to mention him and uh, what his life and career was like. Uh, he was, of course, a renowned manga creator, illustrator, and designer, and while his family has already held a service, his wife, Miyakomaki, uh, was the chief mourner, and she herself is also a manga creator and artist. Matsumoto was famous for his space operas such as Battleship y Yamato, and I'm Yamato, I know I keep pronouncing things wrong, it's Space Battleship Yamato and Galaxy Express 999. His style was characterized by mythological and often tragic storylines with strong moral themes, noble heroes, feminine heroines, and love of strange worlds and melancholy atmosphere. Just as a side note, I wanted to point out the dates and uh, the eras in which he lived and created things very much tie into uh, sort of Western eras of when we, you know, the West was really getting into science fiction and, you know, weird, funky things. Um, it's all kind of tied into a similar history together, and this was his space in that history. From the uh, Anime News website, they wrote a nice little thing about him here, and so I just went ahead and I'm going to read that one off because they did a great job with that. Matsumoto was born with the given name Akira in 1938 at Kurame City in Fuku Fukuoka, Prefecture. Again, I'm sorry, I keep mispronouncing things and I'm a little congested still because I had a cold last week. Um, so sorry if I sound a little off. He debuted as a manga artist in 1953 with Michibachi no Boken, which is all in English Honeybee's Adventure, while he was still in high school. After graduating high school, he moved to Tokyo and became popular in the 1950s as a shoujo manga creator under a pen name. He then adopted his most famous pen name, Liji Matsumoto in 1965. His notable works include Space Pirate Captain Harlock, Galaxy Express 999, and Queen Emeraldus, all of which inspired multiple anime or live-action adaptions, sorry, adaptations, and he contributed designs and created the tie-in manga for Space Battleship Yamato. He also supervised animated vi music videos for French electronic pop group Daft Punk's Discovery album, and the videos were strung together into the Interstellar 5555, I have no idea how if it's 5555 or 5000, whatever, it's, you get it, film. His designs and works have influenced multiple generations of artists around the world. Matsumoto's mechanical designs range from sleek warships inspired by early 20th century dreadnoughts to fantastical space trains. His characters similarly range from cartoonish or caricature designs to grounded, realistic figures. In 2001, Matsumoto was awarded the Medal with Purple Ribbon honor, and in 2010, he was awarded the Order of the Sacred Treasure Gold Rays with Rosette. In 2012, he received the Chevalier de... 
de l'ordre de l'art is something in French. The Knight of the Order of the Arts and Letters decoration from the French government. I'm not even going to try to do that. And I took French in high school. It's been a while since then. Uh, as for the community that ha he has affected, I have a pretty extensive list of what people have been saying about him across various social medias. Matsumoto's personal company, Lijisha, posted an announcement through the Twitter account of his beloved cats, Mime and Mikun. And it said, A message from Lijisha. On February 13th, 2023, the manga artist Liji. Matsumoto departed from a city hospital on a journey to the Sea of Stars. We are grateful to all the fans who have supported him. Matsumoto always used to say, you can meet again at a place that connects the distant ring of time. We believe in those words and look forward to that day. Matsumoto's manga creator wife, Miyako Maki, who is the representative director of Lijishi, also left the following message. On February 13th, 2023, the manga artist Lijishi Matsumoto departed from a city hospital on a journey to the Sea of Stars. He was 85 years old. His immediate family has already held a private service. I believe that he lived a happy life, allowing his thoughts to run free through the stories he drew as a manga creator. Matsumoto always used to say, You can meet again at, the place, at a place that connects the distant ring of time. I believe in those words and look forward to that day. To all of the fans who supported him, the people involved in delivering his works to the world, the government and organization people who have helped him, the manga creators who honed their skills alongside him in his youth, and to all the hospital staff who aided him in his journey, I extend my deepest gratitude. Thank you so much. I apologize, but I must refuse all condolences, gifts, flowers, and telegrams. I plan to accept flower offerings and telegrams at a farewell gathering, which will be held at a later date. Tatsuro Hoshino, voice actress of uh, Masako Nazawa, commented, or the other way around, sorry, the other way around. She commented, Matsumoto Sensei accompanied me on so many Galaxy Express 999 events around the country. He was friendly and a great talker. I remember like yesterday how delighted he was when he wore a train conductor uniform in Yamaguchi. When we were recording for the film, he came to the studio and praised us, which made it very easy for us to act. He was a very kind-hearted person. Whenever we met, he would always say, We ought to do something with 999. I was looking forward to his company again, and it breaks my heart that this wish of mine will never be granted. Captain Harlock and Queen Emeraldus manga translator Zach Davison says, Saddened to hear of the passing of Leiji Matsumuro. As a young boy, he showed me a train going into space, and I have never been the same since. It has been my great honor to translate his works and bring them into English. Few artists had as much effort effect at my life as Leiji Matsumoto. His work was some of the first to receive English language lessons. Long before the words anime or manga existed in the English language, we all knew the name of Leiji Matsumoto. I woke up every morning at 6am, long before I needed to get ready for school because I couldn't miss an episode of Star Blazers, the relentless countdown of days left to save the Earth. Leiji Matsumoto's genre was ostensibly ostensibly science fiction, but he called it boys' romance, and that's what it was. It sparked my imagination and emotions in ways that no other stories had. It showed me who I wanted to become. Leiji Matsumoto's work was the foundation of what we know as anime-slash-manga fandom in both U.S. and Japan. There is a reason the first every anime 
anime convention held in the U.S. was called YamatoCon. The first ever, and the first ever anime cosplay was a collection of Leiji Matsumoto characters. Leiji Matsumoto's influence on the modern world has been as profound as George Lucas. There are echoes of his work everywhere. He was as large as any of his characters, a dreamer who dreamed of dreams. Sorry, a dreamer who dreamed great dreams. Papua manga creator Ami Shibata tweeted, When I was still a newcomer, I received a long message that was filled with sternness, kindness, and a lot of heart. It can be... It can also be a message to every aspiring manga creator, so I have decided to post it. Matsumoto Sensei, I became a manga artist because of the numerous works of yours that I read. And then the message, um, Matsumoto, she wrote that Shibata, you described Shibata as someone who stands at the forefront of a new generation and praised her storytelling ability. He then wrote that the work of a manga artist is a lifelong endeavor and in order to maintain the stamina required to keep drawing over a long haul period, one must have a target or a source of power. He encouraged Shibata to taking on new challenges and take pride in who she is. Dance in the Vampire Boned manga creator Nozomu Tamaki tweeted, I've only... I've only met Liji Matsumoto once. It was when I interviewed him about a space battleship Yamato PlayStation game. After we had a lively discussion about a wide range of topics, he asked me on the way home, what kind of manga are you drawing? At the time, I was barely ecking out a living with an adult magazine. Sheepishly, I told him the gist of it. In response, he encouraged me, that's fine, isn't it? Draw that kind of thing while you can. Before long, you won't be able to draw even if you want to. I asked, when you say not being able to draw it, what are you talking are you talking about my age? To which he grinned in response and said, You'll get teased by children in school. I suppose he was recalling his experiences drawing Sexeroid and Mystery Eve. It was a moment that stood out to me even more than the interview. Uh, even Hideo Kojima comes on Twitter and says, Manga and anime are not the only things that Mr. Liji Matsumoto has influenced me. I was addicted to mystery novels, but it was the book bindings that he had drawn that turned my attention to science fiction novels. This is where I started reading science fiction in earnest. It was also because of his illustrations that I started reading books on space science and Kodansha Bluebacks. That's just a handful of what people people who have come out and said things all a very tight knit side of the community and there is so many more who have been out there artists and storytellers across all kinds of industries who have come out and made statements on the impact of his work on their lives their interests their careers uh, obviously many comic book uh, artists especially have been talking about him as well um, and so I felt it was very appropriate to give him a little obituary or tribute here in the podcast to sort of change the pace to happier news now uh, but staying within the genre of sorts uh, you may have seen videos of uh, the life-size moving Gundam that's over there in Japan which is really really cool um and that is actually gonna they've they've pushed it back now twice and it's staying on display officially now until March of 2024 the statue is a life-size RX-782 Gundam statue, um, and it is living at, or has being housed at the Gundam Factory Yokohama facility. Uh, it's been officially announced it's been pushed back to 2024. The staff cited the continued widespread interest of the visit 
to visit the attraction despite the lingering domestic and overseas travel restrictions due to COVID-19. It was originally slated to close back in 2022 on March 31st, 2022, after a very limited run uh, and was already pushed forward for a year to March 31st, 2023, and has now been pushed up to 2024. It is 18 meters high um, and it does move. It held its grand opening in 2020. If you want to know more about the facility, it is a Bandai Namco facility, or it has, at least Bandai Namco have four life-size Gundams who, that are there on display, and the moving one is just one. There is a life-size, quote-unquote, transforming RX-0 Unicorn Gundam statue from the Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn anime, which debuted at Tokyo's Diver City Complex in September 2017. I see it's not just at the facility, it's Bandai Namco has these all over the country. Uh, Sunrise then unveiled the moving RX-78-2 Gundam statue from the first Mobile Suit Gundam anime in Yokohama in December 2020, that's the one we're talking about here, and then the life-size statue of the ZGMF X-10A Freedom Gundam from Mobile Suit Gundam Speed, debuted in Shanghai in 2021, not just across the country, across the area. Um, and then the Golden Gundam, the Unicorn Gundam, <laughs> I said Golden, Unicorn Gundam statue in Tokyo replaced a previous, mostly immobile RX-78-2 Gundam statue. The RX-93 FFV Gundam, heavily based on Amura Ray's RX-93V Gundam, pronounced New Gundam, that appears in the Mobile Suit Gundam Char's counterattack film, debuted in Fuku Fukuoka's Mitsui Shopping Park Lalaport in 2022. A lot of those words probably mean nothing to a lot of people, but hopefully somebody there recognizes many of those terms and got some appreciation from it. <laughs> Moving along the major arcana of the traditional tarot deck, we have uh, the card number one this week, which is the Magician. Before we get into description and meanings and symbolism and all that, um, or sorry, description and symbolism, the meanings in general, an upright, the upright meaning, we talked last week about an upright card reading versus a reversed card reading, um, basically meaning uh, if the back of the card is the same, whether it's facing upwards or reversed or downwards, uh, the card is upside down or right side up. That will tell you if the deck is appropriate by the creator, if it was made to be read upright as well as reversed. If you're reading it reversed, they have pretty much, as you would expect, reverse meanings. And it's more to shuffle, it's more fun to shuffle that way, easier because you can just like make a huge mess of the cards and it doesn't matter which direction they're facing as long as they're, you know, going all in the same direction. <laughs> So speaking on the Magician card, card number one, its upright meaning in general is manifestation, resourcefulness, power, inspired action. And the reverse meaning, in contrast, is manipulation, poor planning, and untapped talents. There's some really interesting, in my opinion, history to the Magician card um, and what it used to signify and everything like that. Um, before we get into that, I will get into the physical visual description of it and what the symbolism of the card itself and the various things you see in the card. So um, you see a figure in the center who is the Magician themselves. They hold one arm towards the sky and with the other towards the earth. They 
which is supposed to signify them as being between the spiritual and the earthly realms. There is the infinity symbol um, above their head, which is uh, kind of the Rider Waite Smith take on things, and it's supposed to symbolize unlimited potential. Um, it is also supposed to represent an or. Ouroboros belt symbolizing eternity. The figure is standing among a garden of flowers, which is meant to imply the manifestation and cultivation of desires. The flowers also are meant to symbolize the blossoming and fruition of ideas and aspiration. They also have all four symbols of the tarot in front of them, knife, cup, wand, coin, while those individually can each symbolize the Four elements, um, you know, earth, wind, fire, water. They can also symbolize all of the tools a person needs for success, which this magician person has. They wear a white, uh, in this picture I'm looking at, it's a dress, which symbolizes purity, but they also have a red cloak, which symbolizes experience and knowledge. Our uh, tarot deck of the month was the Modern Witch Tarot Deck by Lisa Sterl, and what she has to say about when you draw the Magician card, and I believe she only has the upright interpretations in this guide. It's time to make some magic to turn dreams into reality. The Magician knows what she wants and knows what she'll need to make it happen. Standing confidently and boldly, brandishing a wand towards the sky, the Magician channels magic and inspiration into herself and transforms it Channels, yeah, transforms it into creative energy. Laid out before her is all she needs on a crystalline pedestal. The sword, her smarts and wit, prepares her for the task ahead. Her cup is full and emotionally connects the magician to her goal. The pentacle is the life experience that taught her how the world works. The other wand drives her forward into action. Bring those lofty dreams down to earth. Make them real. You know what you want. You believe the magic within yourself or you have the magic within yourself to make it happen. Believe in yourself and know that you're ready to start creating. Let that inspiration flow through you and use all the tools to make some stuff. Some stuff. <laughs> um, and then my own personal notes, what I have written about it. Card number one, or the number one, means both new beginnings and opportunities. The magician brings you the tools all there at your fingertips. Combining your resources will bring manifestation. The key is to bring your... Bring your tools together so they are carrying my handwriting, so they are greater than their individual parts. Move forward with your ideas. You are being called into action. You must establish a clear vision of what you will create and why before you act. This is your opportunity to bring your higher self in alignment with your day to day actions to create the future you desire. On a side note, if you know anything about psychology, um, the whole concept of the three U's, right? The private you, the public you, and the desired you or something like that. This very much, this card very much falls in alignment with that whole concept with psychology, which is a lot of, um, the kind of mindset that I tend to have when I, when I think of tarot or, or work with tarot in any way. Um, real world truths, you know, like this stuff you can tie into psychology. Like you don't have to be all like woo 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 about any of this. These are real life lessons and things to consider when you're thinking about really any decision. So you have 78 ways in a deck of tarot cards to think about whatever it is you're asking or wondering or considering. And 
that's I feel like that was just a good way to show what I mean, you know, the um, bringing yourself into, you know, this is your opportunity to bring your higher self in alignment with your day to day actions to create the future you desire. That's literally out of psychology. That's you don't have to be you don't have to feel like there's any, you know, magic or anything in this. It just is truth. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm, I know I'm still congested, I apologize. And my notes end with, when you are clear on what and why, take inspired action. Be metho meth methodical in planning to make sure you stay on track. Which again, is just good advice. <laughs> Be, you know, you have to make sure you count, hold yourself accountable, right? That's just good advice. I'd mentioned that this card has an interesting history uh, because it hasn't always been necessarily a positive thing. Um, the history of the card is that it used to be known as the Magus or the Juggler on certain decks, or in French, it is Le Bateleur, which is the Montebank or the Sleight of Hand artist, which is a practitioner of stage magic. And you can already see the direction that this is going with a card called the Magician in modern times. The Italian tradition calls him Il Bagato or Il Bagateo, which uh, is basically the beggar. The Montaigne Taracho image, which is another set of ancient esoteric cards that would seem to respond with the magician, is labeled Atrixano, the artisan, and he is the second lowest in the series, even outranking the fool of that traditional set. For more than 400 years, the Italian Bagato and the French Bateleur cards depicted a traveling conjurer or swindler. So there's your not positive. <laughs> In the 19th century, occultists created an alternate tradition when they imagined the conjurer as a magus controlling universal creative energies. In the 20th century, the Anglo-American magician demonstrated his power by manipulating the elemental forces embodied in the tarot suite of symbols. Um, and that is something that I came across. This history is very interesting. There's a lot more that I could go into it. Um, I discovered in the research of this a website called tarotheritage.com as a little dash between tarot and heritage. Very interesting stuff. Um, this person has gone through hundreds of years of, of tarot and esoteric history um, to kind of put together the connections of the meanings and the symbolism and everything and and how they evolved from what it was originally like in this case somewhat originally a swindler <laughs> and now it's been evolved into this was a uh in the 20th century a uh magician demonstrated the power by manipulating the elemental forces embodied in the tarot suite of symbols completely different things how you get from that to that and so this person has broken down that history of how they came from swindler to magician um, in this link, and I'll have that in the description because I thought it was very interesting, so maybe some of you will as well. And that does lead us into the next part, which is the variations of the Magician card, um, which you can imagine through the years with such variation in who the character was on the card does come with a lot of visual variation as well. One thing that I thought was very interesting in the variations throughout history, the curves of the magician's hat, especially in the Marseille tarot deck, uh, that in, in that image, the curves of the hat are very similar 
to the mathematical sign for infinity, you know, which is traditionally now what is on the Rider-Waite-Smith deck is just the infinity symbol above the magician's head. But even when you go as far back as um, the sleight of hand artist or whatever it was that was back in the um, Italian and the French decks, they had that hat shape, which was kind of the infinity shape, um, which you can see a lot of images of that. If you're curious, again, in that link, that'll be in the description. The magician and Le Batelour in the Marseillaise dick is depicted with six fingers on his left hand rather than five. Rather than flowers, the magician of the Marseillaise deck is depicted with a small plant between his feet. The plant has a yonic appearance, I have no idea what that means, and has been interpreted as the sex organs of either a personal mother or the abstract concept of mother nature. Um, again, all in that history of tarot, I thought that was very interesting. Um, in the Marseille deck, the magician holds his wand in his left hand as opposed to the right hand. Uh, in the Smith-designed Rider-Waite-Smith cards, um, let's see, let's pull out the anime tarot and talk about what creator Natasha Iglesias has put for the magician. Um, attributes, of course, the same are power, creativity, innovation, innovation, manifestation, resourcefulness, um, and the character that they tie to the magician, the trope or archetype, you may say, is the Maho Shouju, or as I will be saying from here on out, Magical Girl. And that's one I think that is very, very clear. Obviously, from Sailor Moon, you have Usagi Tsukino. From Magical Girl, Lyrical Naho Nanua, you have, of course, Nanua Tama Takamachi. I obviously haven't seen that. From Card Capture, Sakura, you have Sakura Kinomoto. From Puela, Magi. Madoka Magica, you have Madoka Kaname. <laughs> Those I have seen. Um, but yeah, so very, very cle clear and easy to understand archetype here when you connect the magician to the magical girl from manga and anime. So what she has to say about that is, the magician's analog in anime is the magical girl. This character is powerfully capable, despite the fact that others might view her attributes as a hindrance to success, her age, background, temperament, cuteness, etc. She can usually wield them to her advantage. Using her femininity, love, and moral values as power and inspiration, she transforms to fight the odds and protect those she cares for. Now remember those things of... Um, how you have all the tools that you need is a big is a big theme in the magician card. That's where she's connecting that. You know, people view her attributes as hindrances, but she can actually wield them to her advantage. Using her femininity, love, and moral value as inspiration, she has all the tools that she needs as a magical girl. And I freaking love that. And obviously you can see another variation is very much the male versus female variation. Magical girls are obviously female. Um, in the Modern Witch Tarot deck, the character who is the magician is female. It is traditionally, going back through time, always been male. Uh, the variations that are female, let's be honest, tend to be more interesting. <laughs> um, I think that's actually not just because they're favorite. I think it's just because I'm thinking of decks that are all well thought of, very creative decks. Now, as for the magician in pop culture, I have a couple of quotes here from the Biddy Tarot, uh, Bridget S. Lamont, Ultimate Guide to Tarot Card Meanings Tome, we'll call it, because it is like 500 pages almost. A quote from Albert Einstein, Only one who devotes himself to a cause with his whole strength and soul can be a true master. For this reason, mastery demands all of a person. 
and from Christina Baldwin, who I guess is an author and seminar presenter. Spiritual love is a position of standing with one hand extended into the universe and one hand extended into the world, letting ourselves be a conduit for passing energy. How nice. As I drop the tome on the floor. Uh, also, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the character... Muhammad Abdul wields the pyrokinetic stand, which is their powers, named after the magician Magician's Red. The Surrealist, which is a uh, painting from 1947 by Victor Bronner. Uh, the trigger, the trigger. <laughs> The juggler provided Bronner with a key prototype for his self-portrait. The surrealist large hat, medieval costume, and the position of his arms all derive from this figure who, like Bronner's subject, stands before a table displaying a knife, a goblet, and coins. And then from Reddit, I found this fun quote uh, regarding the character of the magician, Lady Gaga in Born This Way, doing her job, nailing it, and becoming an inspiration. That's... I just thought that was a very another very clear, like the magical girl, another very clear representation of the card. Also, before we move on to the manga section, I wanted to mention also that February 16th was Pamela Coleman Smith's birthday. She was the artist on the Rider Waite Smith deck. Um, and she was born in 1978. Sorry, 1878. I was a hundred years off. She was born in 1878. Our manga of the week is Boys Over Flowers by Yoko Kamio. The year was 2008, and I was about to turn 15. Familiar with comic books and strips, a senior high school friend suggested I try manga. Her first suggestion, her own personal favorite, Boys Over Flowers, a.k.a. Haniori Dango. The romance, the intrigue, the boys, the girls, the determination from all parties. The author notes in the sidebar, I could go on, I was hooked. Unfortunately, they are pretty much impossible to find in English in the U.S. these days. Uh, yeah, but let's get into about the book, about the manga. Uh, it is a reverse harem, meaning uh, that the harem trope is when it's a dude who is the star and he has all of these girls who are like, whether they are aware of it or not, totally into him. This is the reverse of that. It is a girl who is the star of the series and there are a bunch of male, be it potential romantic partners or not, uh, characters who kind of surround her. Uh, it is a romantic comedy and a shoujo manga, which makes sense. Shoujo being uh, aimed at sort of the teenage girl audience. It is, to this day, still immensely popular in East Asia. Um, and it is factually one of the best-selling manga series of all time and the best-selling shoujo manga of all time. A few notes on the creator, Yoko Kamio. Kamio. Um, Camillo had no intention of becoming a professional manga artist when she was young, opting to be a waitress instead. She originally went to secretarial school after graduating, but her love of drawing soon led her astray. She then eventually entered the professional manga artist field in 1989. In the following years, Camillo, Camillo published three manga stories in Margaret before she finally created Boys Over Flowers in 1992. Her next project, Cat Street, was another manga series... Uh, and drama published by Shuisha. Shuisha. 
In it, she tells the story of a former child actress who starts attending an alternative school after years of withdrawal from society. The protagonist subsequently rebuilds her life and rekindles her acting career. Her next series was Matsuri Special, which debuted in the first issue in 2007 of Jump Square, which was a shonen magazine. It is about a high school girl whose father has trained her to become a female professional wrestler. And then she has a couple of other series, Toro To Okami, which ran in Betsuma magazine from 2010 to 2011. Ibara no Kamnuri, which ran from 2013 to 14. And then Boys Over Flowers Season 2 in 2015 to 2019. Now let's talk the players of the story, starting off with the fictional Eitoku Academy, uh, which is an elite school for children from rich families in, I think, Eitoku was the city. And we have our star, Tsukushi Makano, who is a girl from a middle-class family whose mother enrolls her in an elite high school to compete with the families from her husband's company. Uh, Tsukushi means weed, um, which is a whole lot of, um, it's, it's something that really sticks with her personality that she refuses to be, you know, pulled out of the ground and uprooted and, uh, kicked out and all that stuff that the kids, the rich, the mean rich kids at the school, uh, are trying to do to her and stuff like that. So then we have the F4, which yes, is a ridiculous name for a gang of four boys who are children of Japan's wealthiest families and who bully anyone that gets in their way. They are all students at the school. Starting off with Sukasa Domyoji, who is the leader of the F4 group and the heir to the Domyoji Enterprises. He grew up in the re- with the rest of the F4 as his mother was always overseas and his older sister relocated to Los Angeles after her marriage. His mother, in particular, is very cold towards him and wants to control his life for the sake of preserving the family name. As the extremely hot-headed and volatile leader of the F4, Sukasa uses his power to rule over the entire school. He uses an infamous red card and attaches it to the inside of anyone's locker who has made the F4, particularly him, upset. A red card gives the entire student body at Eitoku free reign to bully, prank, and humiliate the receiver until they decide to leave the school. However, Tsukushi's declaration of war against the F4 after receiving the red card, retaliation against the student body, and strong will reminds Tsukasa of his beloved sister Subakai. Subaki, sorry. <laughs> Something completely wrong. Subaki. Subaki. Uh, he thus grows fond of Tsukushi, eventually falling madly in love with her. And there we have our couple uh, kind of will-they-won't-they love interests. <laughs> Moving on to Rui Hanazawa. Rui is Tsukasa's best friend and Tsukushi's first romantic interest. He is generally quiet, distant, uninterested in people, and said to be autistic. I don't remember that, but okay. He only opens up to his close friends and the model Shizuko Todu, whom he was betrothed to since birth. Rui admires Tsukushi's courage in standing up to Tsukasa and eventually begins to help her. After he be- after he comes back from France and witnessing Shizuka's marriage, Rui was very frustrated and slowly falls in love with Tsukushi. However, after learning that Tsukushi genuinely loves Tsukasa... I'm saying this all wrong, I know Tsukasa. Uh, Rui backs off. Sojiro Nishikado. Sojiro is the biggest playboy of the F4. He is devoted to the practice of traditional Japanese tea ceremonies, which is his family's business. For the most part, he and Akira usually work to keep the peace within the group and following Tsukasa. And that leaves us with Akira Mimasaka. 
Akira is arguably the kindest and most mature member of the F4. His family is very powerful in the Japanese underground. In the manga, they own a huge, a large trading company. He keeps his cool and rarely loses his temper, although when he does, even Domyoji has to run for the hills. He has a pair of young twin sisters who annoy him due to their intense affection for him. Other characters are Yuki Matsuoko. Yuki is Suku. Shukushi's childhood friend. They work together at a dango shop after school. Yuki cares a lot for Tsukushi's feelings and does not want anybody to hurt her. Yuki offers her a lot of encouragement and advice about her situation and the F4. Shizuka Todu is a rich heiress, a fashion model, and a childhood friend of the F4, particularly Rui. She was the first person who was able to get him to come out of his shell, and the two were inseparable for most of their childhood. She began a modeling career during her high school years, but at her 20th birthday party, she announces that she will give up her career as a model, as well as a position on the Todu Harris as a Todu Harris to move to Paris and become a human rights lawyer. She was very kind towards Tsukushi and sees her as Rui's romantic interest. Rui initially accompanies Shizuka to Paris as Tsukushi's request, but their relationship suffers as Shizuka spends more and more time at work. Towards the end of the manga series, Rui tells Tsukushi that what happened between him and Shizuka is completely over and that's okay with him. They're on good terms and they are still friends. Kazuya Aoki is another one of Tsukushi's childhood friends. He enrolls at Eitoku after his family comes into money and through some real estate deals. The other students at Eitoku draw a sharp distinction between Kazuya's new money and their old money. The F4 in particular mention this difference fairly often and consider him to be a nuisance and as the story progresses, and simply tolerate him because of Tsukushi's fondness for him. Finally, <clears throat> Subaki Domyoji. Subaki is Tsukasa's older sister and closest friend. Although she bullies him, he adores her and trusts her more than anyone else, as she, raises him, as she raised him in the absence of their parents. After she graduated from Eitoku, she dated a working-class man, which led her to her mother forcing them apart so that Subaki could marry a wealthier man. Although she has obtained a degree of happiness in her marriage, she often gets sad and travels home to Japan when her husband is busy overseas. She bears... She begs Tsukasa not to make the same mistake in love. She sees Tsukushi as a younger sister and always helps her with her relationship with Tsukasa. The publication of Boys Over Flowers was that it was serialized in Shuisha's bi-weekly magazine, Margaret Magazine, from October 1992 to January 19... Sorry, 2004. It was also serialized into 36 standalone volumes between 92 and 04, with the epilogue, issue 37, coming out in 2008. English translations of all 37 volumes were released between 2003 and 2009. It has also been published by Glenot in France and by Plan Planeta de, de Agostini in Spain. As for further media, there is an audio drama adaption of Hanayori Dago, marketed as CD Books, which was released from 1993 to 1994. It starred Takuya Kimura in his voice acting debut as well or sorry, as the voice of Rui Hanazawa, who this adaption focused on. There are licensed shows that have been made for Japan, I believe these are all live action too, for uh, Japan, Taiwan, Korea, China, and Thailand. There are also unlicensed versions of the show in Indonesia, China, and India. All of these shows range from the years 1995 to 2022. 
an anime television series produced by Toei Animation and Broadcast on Television by Asashi Broadcast, sorry, Asahi Broadcasting Corporation and TV Asahi in 1996. It was followed by a spin-off theatrical short film set in an alternate universe in 1997. Interesting. The anime was later released in Northern America on DVD by Viz Media in 03 as Boys Over Flowers and re-released in 2016 as Hanayori Dango. As for the reception and legacy of this manga... The F4, or Flower 4, um, which then became JVKV, was a Taiwanese boy band consisting of cast members of the 2001 Taiwanese version Meteor Garden, Jerry Yan, Venus Wu, Ken Chu, and Vic Chu. It formed in 2001 after the Meteor Garden series ended. They released three albums, Meteor Rain, Fantasy Forever, and Waiting for You, which was 2007. According to Forbes, F4 has sold 3.5 million copies of their first two albums all over Asia as of July 2003. However, in 2007, due to copyright issues, the group had to change its name to JVKV using the initials of its members descending order in descending order of their ages. Boys Over Flowers won the 41st Shogakukan, Shogakukan Manga Award for the Shoju category in 1996. As of February in 25, February 2015, the series had over 61 million copies in circulation, making it one of the best-selling manga series of all time and the best-selling shoju manga of all time. On TV, Asahi's manga shows Senko 2021 poll in which 150,000 people voted for their top 100 manga series, Boys Over Flower ranked 70th. And I'm always looking for English copies. Send me your English copies of Boys Over Flowers. Finally, for manga news, um, and if you're looking for anime news, I do have a fair amount of that in the TV section further further down the line here. Um I really don't have much manga news, but I can say what I've been reading recently. Um, I think this one might be the most wholesome, goozy, dripping in honey, could not physically stop myself from literally squealing at how cute it was. Uh, My Sister the Cat is what it's called. Holy shit, it's cute. Uh, I, I... painfully cute. It hurt how bad it was cute. How good it was cute. How cute it was. Anyway. Also, Kaiju Go Caramelis, I think I've already talked about. Oh, also, My Sister the Cat only has one volume out. The second one's coming in April. Catch the hell up. You will not regret it. Kaiju Go Caramelis has six volumes. I am on volume... I'm about to start volume four today. Cute as heck. Um... And also very fun, so that's good. Uh, I've been reading also the the light novel of Raven of the Inner Palace, which the first edition of was just released in English earlier this month, and it is stupendous, I have to say, and it's also a fairly quick read. I spent like 10 minutes reading last night, and I got through a good chunk. Um, And then Night of the Living Cat, I am still going through, and it is still fantastic. Uh, People are turning into cats instead of zombies. It's brilliant. To kick off the comic book segment this week, um, the May solicitations were released uh, just this past week or so, and so I have a few thoughts on the Marvel and DC ones. 
uh, less thoughts on the DC ones, but what the DC, what DC DC Comics is getting that's going to be new in May, uh, they're getting a new Shazam series, Titans is going to kind of be replacing Justice League, which is going to come back at the end of the year, people already figured that one out, uh, Green Lantern, which I'm pretty sure is Hal, so I'm not interested, Brave and the Bold, Cyborg, Spirit World, The Vigil, City Boy, and a Power Girl special. Spirit World, The Vigil, and City Boy are all, I believe, um, Asian characters, and they're all five or six issue series as well, I believe. Um, at Marvel, they're getting new series Storm. Cool. Avengers, finally getting a new writer for Avengers. Silk is getting another six-issue series or five issues or something. She can't... It's like the fourth one in the past two years. This is so annoying. Just give her an ongoing. Uh, Then you get Edge of the Spider-Verse, Groot, Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider, Fury, which I'm pretty sure is going to cover all the Furies, or both, or whatever. Uh, Daredevil and Echo, Cult of Carnage, X-Men Before the Fall of X, which I am not excited for. Return of the Jedi, Lando, and Scarlet Sin, which is the last of Peach Momoko's uh, Demon Wars. As for other thoughts of Marvel in May, there's way too many spider things happening. Just way too many. Uh, the mutants are going from one event to the next with absolutely no room in between whatsoever, which is not good in my opinion at all. But Patsy is going to be back in Jen's She-Hulk book again, so yay. She's also getting her own series, which is sick. Um, but why is Clea not in the issue of Doctor Strange solicited where he's fighting Dormammu? How is she not going to be in that issue? He is her uncle. (laughs) And she just, like, caught up with her mother again after years. Why is she not involved? (laughs) Especially if she and Strange are supposed to be back together? Mm. And also, uh, on a higher note again, Spider-Verse variants. Uh, Variant covers across all of the Marvel releases. They're getting spider-fied, so some really fun ones, including uh, some really excellent variant cover artists who I love to follow. Next week, we're going to be talking the month of March look-ahead, because it will be the first... Whenever I get it out next week, it'll be... I'll I'll consider it the first episode of March. Uh, So we'll talk all about what's going to be exciting coming out in the month of March. And before we move on to what was new this week in comics, uh, a little note on the the comic Spirit World, because that character um, that was just kind of introduced... It's an Alyssa Wong character that's just introduced in uh, one of the Lazarus event things, whatever it's, Lazarus Planet. Um, And I just have to note, because there's a lot of racism out there on the internet towards Asian creators, um, Asian creators making an Asian character and writing about them amazingly does not automatically make it a self-insert character. <laughs> if it did, then so would be every, you know, straight white male character that's ever been written by a male dude. I mean, come on. <laughs> I think I get my point across there. Let's go ahead and move on. Comics that are new this week, things coming out uh, yesterday, which was the 21st for DC Comics, and today the 22nd for everything else. I'm sure whenever you listen to this, it's probably going to be after the 22nd, though. So these are all out. Congratulations to us. Starting with the new number ones, uh, which is going to begin with Banshees from Scout Comics by Dave Dwanch. I spent a good long name, look- long time looking at his name, and it is Dwanch. D-W-O-N-C-H, Dwanch. Anyway, uh, also Jessica Balboni and Ricardo Facini. 
Uh, it says, Emily is entering her first year of college and looking to reinvent herself after the loss of her best friend. But when she discovers the terrible history of her dormitory, she channels her guilt into a new obsession, discovering the truth about the lion, a serial killer that stalked her college campus for nearly a decade. But old ghosts can lay dormant for only so long. Godfell number one is coming from Vault with artist, sorry, writer Christopher Sabia and artist Ben Hennessy. Uh, we have covers by artists Tula Latoy, Tula Lotte, I always say it wrong, Nathan Gooden, Skylar Patridge, and Heather Vaughn. Uh, this is another one that there is, you know, if there's a number of variant cover artists or creators who are taking part in it, as a, a new indie series especially, um, I if I recognize more of those names, I will be more likely to pick it up, which might be a little classist to new creators i'm sorry but that tends to be how i find series that are really really stellar as i see other creators who are kind of banking on it as well so uh godfell i think is going to be one of those tula lote is absolutely fantastic as are nathan gooden skylar patridge and heather vaughn so i have high expectations for this one one sunny day in the land of Karathim, God falls dead from the sky. The impact sends out shockwaves that draw in royal families at war, shadowy creatures of the dark, and armies of the disposed. Dispossessed. <laughs> Dispossessed. All coming to lay claim to parts of God's body. Into this power struggle wanders Zanzi Vuilin, a soldier of and berserker trying to get home from a years-long war. Forced to fight her way through the strange landscapes in an odd god's corpse, from the soles of her feet through the top of its head, Zanzi will acquire a mysterious traveling companion on her own pilgrimage. Kitsune is one I've been looking forward to from Scout Comics by Luca Frig Frigerio and Emmanuel Ercolani. Sorry. Kitsunichi... Kitsumichi Shimitsu is, is a ronin, a samurai who has become masterless. After 12 years of absence, he returns to his native lands and discovers that his master's son is a weak man. Bandits terrorize the population, and a strange rumor of powerful enemies spread. Torn between past mistakes and a chance to redeem himself, Kitsunichi will have to fight for his life. Local man number one comes from Image Comics, from Stray Dogs creator Tony Fleeks teams revivals with revivals Tim Seeley for a series that combines rural crime noir and superhero action. Once the star recruit of the media sensation Super Team Third Gen, Jack Xavier had it all. But when controversy sends Cross Jack crawling back to his mom and dad's basement in the Midwest, Jack struggles to fit into a world he left far behind, and then the bodies start piling up. That's ominous. One shot from Scout Comics, Rest in Peace by Tyler Ham and Ferulas Illustra. Illustra. Have you ever been overwhelmed by houseguests who won't let you rest in peace? Ghoul has. After a long Halloween night, his monster friends start knocking on his door. He reluctantly allows Dracula in, then Werewolf. The next Mummy, followed by Frankenstein's monster. Finally, then, when Blob tries to ooze his way through the door, Ghoul loses his cool and kicks them all out into the darkness. But was his decision too hasty? Only when his conscience, in the form of the Invisible Man, makes him realize that his friends simply wanted to spend more time together, does he see the error of his ways. And that leaves us with Big Two for the number ones. 
Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number one, comes from Leo, sorry, Teeny Howard and Vasco Georgiev, Georgiev in his Marvel debut. The captain has come, oh, sorry, the captain comes home. And she's got a whole new mission, with Otherworld settled, Braddock Manor restored, and her brother Captain Avalon at her side. You'd think things look pretty good for Betsy Braddock. Only it turns out, good old Britain doesn't want her back. No one wants a mutant menace trying carrying the shield of Captain Britain, and Betsy's made more than a few enemies along her way. Questless and countryless, Bessie must find a, a role for herself. A fresh take on a beloved character. Don't miss the latest Teeny Howard extravaganza with blah, 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 blah. I prefer Leo Williams. Teeny Howard and Leo Williams kind of came to Marvel with Vita Ayala. The three of them came at the same time. And I gotta say, no offense. Um, I'm stretching, sorry. Teeny Howard is not my favorite of that group. Uh, she's actually kind of disappointed me in a lot of ways. Um, but we won't get into that now. Immortal X-Men number one, which is going to be just a new, you know, whatever, Marvel. Adored and respected. They said the mutants were humanity's future. It's ten years later, and they were proven to be right. The X-Men exist in a world that adores and respects them, so why are they sworn to crush it? But while they do, Emma can take a few minutes out to crush Mr. Sinister. Okay, whatever. Superman number one. It's the dawn of DC. Superman has returned to Metropolis on his greatest enemy. Lex Luthor is finally behind bars. The future of the Superman family has never been brighter. As Clark Kent settles back into his life, iconic and iconic new and new enemies erupt from the shadows to strike down the Man of Steel. But waiting in the wings to back up Big Blue is Supercore. What secret project has Lex given to Superman? A hero is only good as their villains will be put to the test in this brand new oversized number one featuring comics The Greatest Superhero by DC Comics Architect. I'm sorry, that sounds dumb. Joshua Williamson and award-winning superstar artist Jamal Campbell. That's a good title. But DC Comics Architect? I'm sorry, but Screw you for having that title. You didn't do shit. <laughs> In my mind. Um, <laughs> and there's a bunch of covers by a bunch of dudes. There's literally no females involved. Lazarus Planet Omega number one, Fate and Fury. The Devil Nessa and his son are at war. With all of humanity caught in the middle, the Lazarus storms are intensifying worldwide. Earth's superheroes are on the ropes and Batman is living on borrowed time. It's up to Zaytana, the Spectre, the Demon, Clarion... And the rest of uh, DCU's magic users, the way they phrased that was just weird. The rest of DCU's magic users to join Damian Wayne and set things right. But to do that, they'll have to uncover Neza's final explosive secret. Plus, the Dreamer has rescued Dr. Fate's helmet from destruction, but what? why does it keep glowing like that? The dawn of DCU begins as the Lazarus Planet saga clashes to a close. I just stumbled over a lot of that, but you get the point. So, that leads us into the rest of things that came out this week. Batman One Bad Day, Clayface. Batman Superman World's Finest number 12, which I am only interested in because it has the Supergirl-Robin feud and a story of their worst team-up, which I'm excited to find out what that is. Catwoman 52, Deceased War of the Undead Gods number 6, which I think is the last one? I'm not sure. Deadpool number 4, Doctor Strange Falls Sunrise number 4, which is the finale. Earth Divers number 5 from IDW, Monstrous and Saga 43 and 62 respectively from Image. She-Hulk number 10, Thor 31, and Wonder Woman 796, which I have on this list because uh, Yara Flora is going to be in this one. I'm not sure if she was in the last one, but she's in this one and that's exciting for me. So I was going to talk a little bit about what came out last week since I didn't cover that. 
but I'll just cover the number ones extremely briefly. Evanescence, My Heart is Broken, number one from Opus, which I just think is funny. Uh, so that's why I'm mentioning it. A Foulness in the Walls, number one from Aftershock, and Colin Bunn, who tends to be really good. That's a one-shot, by the way. Uh, the Last Barbarians, number one from Image. Masters of the Universe, Masterverse from Dark Horse. Torrent from Image. Icon vs. Hardware from Milestone. And Nightcrawlers uh, from Marvel. Oh, and I guess there was also um, Marvel's Voices, Wakanda Forever, and Lazarus Planet, Dark Fate. So, cool. Uh, so that brings us into the recent reads and uh, kind of catching up with events. Some of these um, I didn't write too much on. It doesn't mean that I didn't like them as much, such as Poison Ivy number nine, where we're starting. Um, and that's uh, so good. It was so good. <laughs> Ivy and Harley are reunited, and I am a dork for that. Um, basically, you know, love is love, and her love is in Gotham, so to Gotham she goes. And, and that's how that issue is going. So she's going to go to Gotham next and Jenny Frizen is still doing every other cover, I think, and that's just even more reasons to get issues. All Against All, issue three of five, was super cool. Caspar uh, Wingard's art is still just great. I will read anything that he's involved with because I love his art. Uh, the character... Um, who was kind of like the head scientist dude. He's not dead. Wow, he's not dead. He gets, he takes over a wolf body, but then an eagle steals him off of the wolf body. He kills the eagle and then falls into a swamp and he suddenly realizes that that's his natural habitat. Just a fun little adventure he's going on. Uh, then we find out that gravity is heavier in the biomes where helpless was, the human helpless is his name, was growing. So he is way stronger when they bring him out. So obviously he escapes. And what does he begin to do? He begins to slaughter them. I love this. Uh, back in the biome, uh, the uh, uh, scientist dude, he gets out of the water finally. He gets an alligator. He finds his babies have been eaten. Uh, the alligator's babies have been eaten. And since he's like part animalistic because he's part of the alligator now, uh, he rages out. Uh, and he encounters his daughter, so we're going to see if he alligator kills his daughter, or if she kills alligator dad. Uh, Vampirella, Red Sonia, issue four, I actually did not finish. So I guess I'll cover that another day. Lazarus Planet, Next Evolution. Uh, this was the ones that covered Vigil, Red Canary, Amanda Waller, and Flatline, which had art by Laura Braga, which made it worth reading. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have, to be honest. Um, we'll have better coverage of the Lazarus Planet event in the next episode when it's technically all said and done. Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, issue number one. I did not quite feel the connection to that. A lot of people did, but it's fine. It was still good. It was good enough. Uh, the team is Storm, Cable, Wizkid, Korra, Ironfire, and Quick. Um, they are questing with Mystique, I believe, if I recall. I don't really don't remember much of that issue, do I? Uh, Space Job, number one. A space station's chief chef's assistant is suddenly promoted to first officer of a brand new spaceship, the George H.W. Bush, which, again, I will cackle in my head this time. He immediately touches something he shouldn't and dies. <laughs> then we find out the captain has volunteered this crew for cargo delivery, which is odd because it's not a cargo ship, and somebody 
is like a stowaway or something. I don't remember. It was okay. I probably won't read the second one, to be honest. Captain Marvel number, whatever it was, that came out a couple weeks ago. Absolutely exquisite art. I thought it was Carmen Carnero. I had to go and check. It was not Carmen Carnero. But it was exquisite. Um, as for the story, they're still fighting brood. There's a lot of fun stuff happening. Also, I read X-Men 19 and discovered that there's two Loras. Um, I guess I missed that before. But so now there's old Laura, who is Talon, and young Laura, who is Wolverine. So it's Wolverine, who is in the Captain Marvel issue, and Talon, who is in the X-Men issue. So, and apparently all the Talon stuff all went down in the last, like, two or three issues of X-Men. So I really didn't miss it. It wasn't, like, a huge long thing. And I did read it back when Hickman was doing it, and it was the children of the vault and everything. And when she and him first went into it, uh, him being Sink. Anyway, yeah. Um... So that was Captain Marvel and X-Men Nightcrawlers. Um, eh, it was okay. Um, we, we get some reveals. You get like the... Um, you now have all of the card kids, I guess. They're siblings, possibly. There's Spade Sinister and uh, Mother Mayhem or whatever her name is. Mother Righteous, Mother Mayhem's DC. <laughs> Mother Righteous. Uh, she's the heart. And then there's the fourth one, the, you know, the cube or whatever, whatever the other one is. And then Sinister is like Diamond, you know. Um, Nightcrawler has once again got messed the F up as a monster. Um, I don't know why all these alternate universe timelines always, like, genetically screw with Nightcrawler, poor dude. Um, and so now they are on Mother's side. The Nightcrawlers are all anti- sinister they're on mother righteous's side and they're trying to get into the lab that they stole from sinister that contains all his moiras so they can reset reality also the bamf snicked was pretty funny the the laura who had the snicked you know the wolverine claw on her tail and then there is lazarus planet dark fate which i guess was another thing that happened uh, we get Helena and Huntress and something about summer this year, Doom Patrol, Jules Jordan, a Flash cosplayer, and then the Envoy by Alyssa Wong and Shelley Haining. They team up with Orphan, saying nothing of the other bats, uh, oh, sorry, saying none of the other bats go to that side of town. They take them out with talismans, uh, Constantine arrives to help at the end a little bit, um... I don't know, I really liked it. I thought it was good. Orphan gets pulled into the spirit world, and that's going to be continued in spirit world number one. And so Justin Society of America 1 and 2 are the last ones that I have to talk about here, and I really enjoyed them. This is Helena Wayne's story, Huntress, 26 years from now. She is out huntressing with Grundy, searching for Dr. Fate. Uh, someone called Ruby, who is a Red Lantern, or an embodied Red Lantern, um, she talks to her while Catwoman watches them talk, who is her mother, you know. Uh, Helena is the one who convinced fate at that point, Khalid, to think outside the box with this generation of JSA members. They are, as described, Jim Craddock, gentleman's ghost of a once highwayman, Solomon Grundy, king of zombies. Michael Maine, the Harlequin's son, not Harley Quinn, the Harlequin, Cameron Mockent, Icicle, murder and legacy villain, Kyle Kent, the Mist, and Ruby Sokov, daughter of Red Lantern Vladimir Sokov, longtime enemy of Alan Scott. She is a living Red Lantern ring, quote, fueled by the mystic and violent red flame, unquote. 
then Power Girl, Huntress, and Fate make up the rest of the team. The public of this era can't take the team seriously because they are mostly the children of those previous teammates or team members fought and put away for their crimes. In this story, Batman was killed by a common criminal some years ago when Helena was still fairly young. Dr. Fate's mummified body is found some days later after they've been searching, and it looks like he's been there for hundreds of years. Then the big reveal, Karen Starr, aka Power Girl, is shot uh, by a guy with the gun he says he killed Kennedy with, having sped up time to expose her to enough kryptonite radiation to weaken her to that point in mere moments. He brings the highwayman back to life and then kills him. He turns Grundy to dust. He makes the Harlequin's son's old battle scars open back up so he bleeds out. Icicle freezes himself. Ruby splits at the seams. The mist ages to death in seconds. Helena begins to be aged by the intruder as well until her mother, Selena, a catwoman, bursts through the roof. She tells her to save the previous Justice Society and to find fate to explain what's going on. Something about a snow globe breaking, time gets funky, and she lands in 1940s Justice Society headquarters. In issue two, she wakes up in 1940s Justice Society headquarters where there is Jay Garrick, the original Flash, Spectre, the Ghost, Thunderbolt, Genie, Hawkman, the reincarnated Egyptian Prince, Legionnaire, the Man from the Future, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, and Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson, the original helmet wearer in the Justice Society. Fate reacts magically to Helena and then kind of wakes up, going through a Gotham swamp with Salem, the Witch Girl, um, looking for Mr. Miracle. They then find him fighting Grundy in 1941. When he snaps back to 1940, Helena hears a memory of hers telling about a teacher, uh, telling a teacher about some boogeyman she saw watching her, and everybody just thinks she's making it up. Um, back in the future, with the murdered JSA, Catwoman is fighting this character, the Degation, who is the specter or boogeyman from Helena's uh, side vision that she was telling that teacher about. She wasn't making it up. Who knew? Helena witnesses the moment that her mother is killed and the man saying over her mother's dead body that he will find Helena next easily. Then she goes back forward through time, witnessing this current version of fate being killed and Khalid being chosen as the next fate. She lands in an alley and is greeted by Khalid's fate, also Dead Man, and Detective Chimp, which I wrote here, the monkey detective guy. But I actually remember Detective Chimp. I believe that would be the Justice League Dark. I don't think issue three is out yet, but I'm going to read it. That leaves us with our final section for the day, segment for the day, TV and movies. Uh, we're going to talk new and noteworthy news and announcements, trailers, anime, and more. Uh, we are not going to be covering The Bad Batch because I have not caught up on it yet. <laughs> uh, but starting with, uh, well, before we start with new and noteworthy, Mando, season three, March 1st. We will be covering it weekly. Better than I have been trying to do The Bad Batch, trust me. <laughs> but for new and noteworthy, um, a couple of fun things I've been watching. Lockwood and Co. No idea when it hit Netflix, but I discovered it. Like, you know, the Americas were discovered by that guy. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Really great. A little bit cheesy, but still, like, super fun. It was apparently based off of books, which makes a lot of sense due to the, like, world building and everything. I also watched The Haunting of Hill House, which I know isn't in any way new. It was fine. 
um, paced way too slow. There was too much long-winded storytelling that most of the time wasn't even important information. But they do finally get to the point in the last few episodes, and the reveal about the uh, bent neck lady... Brilliant. Brilliant. I don't get how it works, but brilliant. Uh, More things. I watched both seasons of Acapulco. 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 Wow, I finally said it right, like the fourth try. uh, On Apple TV, or TV Plus, whatever they call themselves these days. Super fun. Did not think I was going to get that into it, but it is very much fun. Um, as a person who has a Bachelor of Science in Hospitality and Tourism Management, don't even ask, um, really, really fun to watch a show that takes place in a hotel with all the, like, event planning and hospitality, and so I just, very, I studied a lot of that stuff, and so I kind of became a dork about it in the process, so really fun to watch all that. Uh, my husband and I watched Red Rose on Netflix, which I also recommend. However, there is a massive content warning for suicide. Um, and paranoia, I guess, would be the other one. So, just be aware. <laughs> uh, but it was really good. Really good. And then, currently, I've been binging The Owl House on Disney+, Plus, which, again, did not think it would be that good, but it is... I think I'm on season, I'm on season three, and it's been like three days since I started it. Um, and that leaves us with Quantum Mania. I haven't seen it. I'm actually not sure if we're gonna watch it in theaters. I don't know if I care enough. Um, there's no Javier Pena. There's no Dust Malkian. No daughter's mom or ex-wife. No stepdad or new boyfriend. Um, it seems like they took a lot of that out. The thing that I'm kind of getting tired of, obviously MCU fatigue to the max, you know, max with three X's. It is, it is, we are peak MCU fatigue. There's a lot of things, you know, that you could say about that real easy, like um, how reviewers especially seem to have these expectations of grand walls, grandiose, I don't know which, whatever the term is, they seem to have these expectations of basically endgame level cinema, I hate using that in terms of superhero movies, but let's say Endgame level cinema, um, every time they see a comic book movie, which frankly is not realistic, and also not what audiences want. That just sounds exhausting. Do you remember the stupid little scenes in the first Ant-Man movie um, they weren't stupid, they were genius. The little jokes about the tininess like, you have these big fight sequences when they're tiny, and then it zooms out, and it's like there's nothing happening. That's all we want from these movies. We don't, we, we really don't need this world-changing, game-changing, eternity, quelling, you know, whatever. We don't need all of that. And I've seen a lot of critiques that since Thanos, and I kind of argue, like, we didn't even see it that much with Thanos, Um, there hasn't been very much MCU villains that you actually see them doing villainous stuff. You just hear the stories about it. There's been a lot of that. And yes, it does seem that they are putting Kang into that box. He's destroying timelines because he, I believe it's, he wants to destroy superheroes or something like that. Um, but you never see it, right? I mean, the worst that you could say would be the things that got changed in the Loki series. Um, 
but even then, like, I, I totally get the, the critique that people have with that. But then on the other side, I've also seen people who have watched the movie and completely blown what they saw in their own mind out of the water. Which makes absolutely no sense. Like, this is this one tweet I saw that I I I I Folks, we are dorks. We like this stuff because we are dorks. Please don't forget that. Because you some of y'all need to check yourselves when you when you type this shit on Twitter. This one guy he wrote that he was shaking in fear every time Kang came on screen. My man, you are in a movie theater. Kang cannot hurt you. You are an adult. Why are you shaking in fear? This is not a horror movie. Nothing can hurt you. You are over the age of five when we realize movies can't hurt us. I'm sorry, but that was a stupid fucking thing to write on Twitter. And it made this movie sound terrible, frankly, in my head. It made it sound like you did not like the movie and somebody has paid you to write some dumb shit on the internet about how it was fantastic, but it's clearly a lie. That's what that sounded like to me. My man, you need to check yourself before you make your fool of yourself even more. We are dorks. Please stop pretending that we're not. <laughs> you can express your admiration for Jonathan Majors playing Kang very well without saying some dumb shit like you were shaking in fear every time he came on screen, because that's obviously not what was happening. <laughs> so I'm seeing really a lot of it from all sides. You know, we're seeing the fans who are saying it wasn't this big explosive endgame level thing and I'm sad. For some reason that guy said it was this big endgame explosive level thing, but he seems to be the only one who really thought it was like that. There's a handful of them out there who who are absolutely totally enamored with it. And then we see the people who were like, yeah, it was a good movie and that's all I really wanted, which is great. Um, I That's all I want as a fan. My expectations are extremely low because we, again, just came out of one of the highest you know, most anticipated arcs of a movie series possibly ever, aside from Lord of the Rings and maybe Harry Potter. Um, and even then, I'm not sure where we land in popularity, you know? It's it's up there. But we can't forget that these are superhero comic book stories. These are things that nerds wrote about stupid people in capes and with dumb powers and names like Spider-Man and Iron Man, and Captain America. Like, this is not clever stuff, guys. These are simple, wholesome stories, sometimes less wholesome, you know? They're just supposed to be good stories. That's it. And I'm sorry if you're going into these things now with higher expectations than that, um, and I'm really sad to see that a lot of the MCU themselves has kind of fallen into that pit, too, and they might be trying to bite off more than they can chew. Um, which is amazing because Disney is a billion dollar company. You would think that they'd be able to follow up on that, but they really just needed, instead of going full force into this next, was it phase five now? They really just needed to reel it in a bit, calm down, spend two years to let the post end game, or maybe two extra years from where we're at right now is what I'm saying. Two extra years to let the post end game high fade correctly so that people want more. So people are, like, begging for more, for anything. And then you can get away with putting out a much lower-level movie than the last few MCU movies that we had to put out, that they had to put out, you know, with Endgame and everything, because 
those expectations have been quelled pretty much and those that high has settled and people are back to reality and they just want a good movie again unlike a lot of people now who are like expecting the world and then on the other side you have people who are like man stop ruining it for everybody else we just want some good flicks that's all moving on just a couple of things about Deadpool 3. Um, the first off is if you have all uh, at all been following Hugh Jackman on social media, you'll see that he is definitely bulking the heck up for going back to be Wolverine, which I honestly feel kind of bad for the man. They must have paid him more money than we can fathom because he, I thought, had come out and said, like, yeah, you know, with my age and everything, the physicality of the Wolverine role, like, it's just not logical and blah, blah, blah. And now he's jumping right back into that boat. Um, they must, they must have given him exactly what he needed or wanted. Also on the Deadpool 3 train is possibly Patrick Stewart, which is very interesting. Uh, his Professor X was seen, we thought for the last time in, uh, Multiverse of Madness, which was another one that I feel like the expectations were so high and it just ended up being in the end. Um... Uh, but I guess he has been told now to keep his calendar open for when they start filming Deadpool 3. Um, so we will potentially be seeing Patrick Stewart's Professor Xavier um, in Deadpool 3 for whatever for whatever reason. I mean, they, they have so many things they could do now with that um, because of the whole rights issues being quelled in a certain way. Yeah, there's there's a lot that could be done with that. And it does make me kind of excited because... It kind of feels then less like they could do some stupid, yeah, he's not part of the MCU stuff, which is really not what I want. Um, but yeah, Deadpool 3 is in the works. And at the Super Bowl, whenever that was, we saw the trailer for The Flash. Actually, they put a piece of it in and you had to look it up online. It's funny that they do that now. Things cost money to run for more seconds. Um, lots of things could be said about The Flash trailer. Lots of things. Obviously, the first thing we have to say is that Ezra Miller is a piece of shit. I don't think anybody uh, can question that at this point in life. But anyway, you know, on the sideline of that, could you even imagine, could you even fathom, if you remember, there was that movie, it was a Flash movie that was going to be co-written by Grant Morrison and Ezra Miller. Could you even, what the hell were they cooking up? I'm super curious now, especially with this having obviously gone in a different direction because Grant Morrison is very much not involved. <laughs> very curious what they were working on. But, you know, the main takeaways of this trailer, Keaton, obviously. Um, I will never not forget now about that, because nobody really thought about it consciously, that Batman masks have always just been kind of like shoving their mouth through a hole. <laughs> and then you get the Robert Pattinson mask. Um, and it's like, wow, you can, you, you mean you don't have to shove your face into an un, unattractive little rubber hole. <laughs> that was, that was my immediate thought when, when they show Keaton's face and he goes, yeah, I'm Batman. <laughs> and it was like face and hole. That was like my, my only thought was, that looks so uncomfortable to have your face shoved in a little hole. <laughs> uh, but anyway, obviously Keaton, but also Batfleck. Um, not sure how that's going to go. They are very much clearly from different universes. Um, 
Sasha Crowley Supergirl, possibly far more exciting. And for me, I think it's more exciting than either of those points, actually. Um, will this be the same Supergirl as in the coming solo movie? Personally, I do not think that her universe, presumably the Keaton universe, is the one that we'll be seeing in these new generation of DC, let's call them gun-run movies and shows. But some people, like my husband, do think so. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. I think we're getting a whole new universe, because I think there's already even too much set up for the Keaton universe for them to use that. But then, you know, if they were to do the Keaton universe, then they could easily bring in Damien as his son, who is a little bit older now, or even like his, his older teenage son with a Nightwing or, you know, some other, um, even Tim Drake was going to be Batman at one point in the comics. You could bring in him as the Batman for the Batman and Robin, um, whatever the heck it was that they were calling it, Brave and the Bold or whatever it is. Um, they could, they could do, be doing it that way. I will give it that. They definitely could be, be giving us the gun universe is the Michael Keaton Batman universe. But I don't think that's what they're doing. I think it's going to be a completely different thing. Um, but Sasha Kali, Sasha Kali Supergirl, I think, looks awesome. It's been very much noted across the universe that she has the... Um, oh, what, what what the heck was the game and the series? I read, I read the comic series. Um, Injustice. Uh, she, she has the Injustice Supergirl design to a T almost, um, both the costume and the hair. So, or the, the, the physicality, the look. So it's, that's, I doubt it's going to take from the character of that. I think that the character she's playing is going to be more along the lines, uh, if not directly taken from the role of Flashpoint Superman. Because if you remember in the Flashpoint, this is all based on Flashpoint in a way, right? And so then Flashpoint Superman was, in that universe they had like the government had captured him as a child and like kept him in this thing and he came out and he was all like shriveled and depowered because they were like trying to keep him contained for his entire universe for his entire life and so then at the end he comes out and he like you know kind of sort of saves the day by getting powered up by the sun for the first time ever i think she's playing that role basically especially since you see her in the um the, the white, like, almost hospital gown, which is low-key what Superman wears in the Flashpoint thing when he first shows up. Um, I definitely think she is directly playing, more or less, <laughs> directly, more or less, the uh, the Flashpoint Superman. Yeah. Um, but I'm very curious what other people have to think about this. I know that we've got two berries. Um, I would kill, not really, maybe a little bit, to see Michelle Pfeiffer show up as Catwoman, having been in some way previously entangled with Batman. Uh, historically, <laughs> dig the heck out of that. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is brilliant, and still to this day, I would absolutely love to see her reprise that. No pressure, no pressure, but yeah, I would love that. Uh, any other thoughts that you have on this trailer? Things that you took away with? Um, what What do you think? What do you think? The last segment of the TV segment, 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 section. Um, is the anime news and 
that will tie into my current anime watch list, things that are premiering and things that I am just catching up on and watching. Uh, for anime news, we have some fun things to talk about, starting off with some a new release, Junior High and High School Kimetsu Academy Story. These are like two or three minute clips for Demon Slayer and the characters, and they're in high school, and it's this whole like side sideline thing, but it's cute. If you want to check it out, it's on Crunchyroll. Uh, as for other news, I know uh, this one is really popular. I have not f caught up with it myself. It is that time I got reincarnated as a slime. It has finished two seasons and we're going to get a third season they've announced now in spring of next year, 2024. Universal Studios Japan has launched a Spy Family Attraction, which is a charming combination of puzzle solving games and a live show. From Anime News Network, they say, For the puzzle-solving rally, participants take on the role of a new agent at the West Alien Intelligence Department, WISE. The rally booklet is called the Top Secret Mission Instructions. It depicts participants to various locations around the park where there are secret codes to solve. Those who have successfully solved the puzzles will be permitted entry to a live show where Lloyd delivers a mission in the utmost of the utmost importance. The three more members of the Forger family, Lloyd, Anya, and Yor, will appear as part of the show. The park will also sell spy family menu-themed items and merchandise while the attraction runs. The food items include beef stew, like your maid, churros styled after Anya, and steam buns shaped like Anya's plush toy, Chimera. The drinks include strawberry milk in the colors of Anya and Bond, the dog, and a non-alcoholic cocktail inspired by Lloyd and Yor. The merch lineup involves child-size Eden Academy uniform tunics, oh my god, a pencil, or sorry, a Chimera pencil case, and a masking tape with printed character designs. The attraction will run until July 2nd. Based on the manga by Taku Kawamura, Kawamura, I said that right, is My First Friend Anime is going to premiere on April 9th. Square Enix Manga and Books has had licensed the manga and describes the story thusly. One lonely, gloomy fifth grade girl is the target of her classmates' relentless bullying and teasing. That is, until a new kid arrives on the scene. Friendly Takara is a clueless is as clueless as he is well-meaning, but somehow he possesses the magical ability to start drawing Grim Reaper Nishimura out of her shell. As the elementary schoolers experience all the fun of a childhood summer together, from going to the pool to picking sunflowers to watching fireworks, an unusual friendship blossoms. From the manga by Kaoru Fukaya, Yamawari... Yomo, Yomowari Neko, I'm so sorry. The TV anime is going to debut on, debut on March 14th. In English, it is Nightwatch Cat. The manga centers on a cat who is drawn to the center of, sorry, to the scent of tears and goes towards anyone who is crying in order to comfort or encourage them. Fukuya began drawing the manga and posting it on Twitter in 2015. Kodansha began publishing the manga on its site, I guess, in 2016. <laughs> uh, if you are a fan of the anime Wave, listen to me. It is going to be getting a live-action TV show. The anime is on Crunchyroll. 
Fuka Koshiba, who is from the live-action Kiki's Delivery Service, stars as the protagonist Minare Koda. Koshiba turned her hair blonde for the first time in her life for this role. Kodansha USA Publishing has licensed the manga and describes the story thusly. The stage is Sapporo Hokkaido. One night, our heroine Minare Koda spills her heartbroken woes to a radio station worker she meets while out drinking one night. The next day, she hears a recording of her pitiful grumbling being played live over the air. Minare storms into the station in a rage, only then to be duped by the station director into doing an impromptu talk show explaining her harsh dialogue. With just one recording, many eccentric facets of Minare's life begin to pull every which direction as she falls deeper into the world of radio. I did try watching that uh, anime on Crunchyroll. I cannot say it was for me. Technoroid Overmind anime was delayed for episode 8 due to COVID-19. It is the television portion of Noris Noriyasu Agamatsu Ruka and Elements Gardens Technoroid Multimedia Project. Whew! Oshinoko anime has posted its theatrical trailer, uh, which is from Oshinoko Mother and Children. It is a manga by Aka Akasaki, sorry, Aka Asaka and Mengo Yokoyari, and Amazon keeps trying to get me to buy it. The anime will premiere on television in April, but an extended 90-minute version of the first episode will play in advanced screenings at cinemas nationwide in Japan starting March 17th. Shuisha's Manga Plus service is releasing the manga in English digitally. Yen Press licensed the manga, and it describes the story thusly. Goru is a gynecologist and idol fan who's in shock after his favorite star, Ai, announces an impromptu hiatus. Little does Goru realize he's about to forge a bond with her that defies all common sense. Lies are an idol's greatest weapon in this outrageous manga from Aka Akasaka and Mengo Yokari. The manga won first place in the 7th Next Manga Awards in 2021, and also won the Best General Manga category in the 46th Annual Kodansha Manga Awards this year. The series was nominated for the 26th Annual Tezuko Os- Osamu Cultural Prize this year, and has also been nominated for the 14th and 15th Manga Taisho Awards. The manga ranked number 7 on the top 20 list of manga for male readers in 2022 edition of uh, I'm not going to say the Japanese name because I can't. This manga is amazing guidebook. The manga has over 3 million copies in circulation. Maybe I will check it out. Maybe I will. And that leaves with my personal watch list, things I've been checking out uh, on Crunchyroll and whatnot. Uh, first off, Agatsuko season, I believe it was 5, came to Netflix and I watched it and it was great. Not sure why she ran for government. But it was cute. Uh, I finally caught up with Komi Can't Communicate Season 1 as well. I have decided that there are too many volumes of the manga for me to catch up anytime soon, so why hold back on watching this show, right? I also started watching Heaven Official's Blessing. I can't say I got too into it, but it's good. As for current things, um, Ice Guy and his cool female colleague and Tomo-chan is a girl are the best this season by far. Uh, so far and by far. I was a little bit disappointed in Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, which is getting English dub this season. I'm not really sure how I feel about it, but I will let 
it go and see how things go from here. Blue Lock is wrapping up soon, I, I want to say. I'm not quite sure, but it is really good. Handyman Saito in Another World feels super generic, and I was pretty disappointed by it, to be honest. Same with the Ice Blade Sorcerer Shall Rule the World. I don't even know what's happening there. Revenger, uh, third episode, was better than the last, at least. Uh, and then Sugar Apple Fairy Tale, episode three. I thought I would be more into this one, and I am not uh, very into it. So, go figure. What are you watching in manga? Let me know. I, I want to know. What are you watching in anime? Holy shit, Anna. Messed that one up. But anyway, uh, that's the end of the episode. I will be back next week for our first episode of March, talking March comics and more... Um, let's see, our tarot card of the week is going to be card number two, which is... Bum, 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 pulls out stuff. That's five, six... Wow, all my cards are out of order. Three, two. The High Priestess. That'll be a fun one to go over. The High Priestess. Okay. So that'll be our tarot lesson next week, and we'll continue to talk about uh, comic books. I'll wrap up Lazarus Planet with their Omega issue that came out this week. Um, and we'll have some other fun stuff like manga and anime, and we'll continue chatting about geeky things and getting sweaty together on this podcast. So thank you for listening. Please do like and rate and share and do all the things that you can do to support the podcast, no matter your scenario. Uh, and I will see you back next week. Have a great week and don't be a dick.